Howdy, y'all. My name's Kyle Bob, and you've stumbled into the Astral Dragon Podcast. Lucky you. My goal is to bring forth the truths that I've learned through consciousness exploration via plant medicine and psychedelics, breathwork, meditations, and from other people and sources. So hang out for a bit, listen to some stories, maybe laugh a little, and see if these messages are for you. Welcome to episode three of the Astral Dragon. I'm really excited about today's episode. I'm going to be talking about one of my favorite things to talk about, which is the nature of all creation. (laughs) Um, So disclaimer, I'm not claiming to know or understand all that's going on in our universe. I have been trying to figure it out for several decades, like many on the planet have, and I've had some experiences that correlate with things that I've read and experiences that other people have had, and I've brought all those things together to form a a story or a worldview that is ever-evolving and changing. So I'm not attached to this story, and I'm not asking you to believe it. Just maybe try to keep an open mind and think, well, what if something like this was possible? A great deal of this framework I've gotten from Autobiography of a Yogi, uh, written by Paramahansa Yogananda. Specifically, toward the end of the book, chapter 43, he talks about his great and powerful guru showing up in his hotel room after he had died, months after he had died, actually appearing in physical form and having an hours-long conversation with Yogananda about the nature of the universe. Um, I've never read a chapter of any book that was more profound than that one. I greatly recommend Autobiography of a Yogi in its totality, um, so that you can eventually get to chapter 43. (laughs) Um, But I found that a lot of people won't read that whole book, so I'm going to talk a little bit about it here. And maybe that'll get some people interested in uh, that beautiful wealth of data there. But I want to tie that also to the understanding of quantum physics. Um, Niels Bohr and Schrodinger, who are two of the founders of quantum physics, were actually avid readers of the, um, the Vedas, which are sacred texts of Hindu teachings. Um, Yogananda also comes from a Hindu background, but in reading his books, one would find that he's not very dogmatic at all and actually very supportive and understanding of all spiritual and religious traditions. I actually learned a great deal about the teachings of Jesus from Yogananda. Um, so this is this is all inclusive. I, I don't want it to be thought that any of the teachings are going to be expelled in this framework because I think most of the core teachings of all the great religions will fit within this framework. All right, so let's get started. First, I want to talk about God, the universe, the all that is whatever you want to call it, and I often call it by many names. In fact, I want to clarify something. A friend of mine was listening to my podcast and told me later that I had 
referred to God as he at one point and they at another point. And so I want to make clear, I do not believe that God is a man or a woman. In my experience, I talked about in the first episode, the Godhead that I experienced from that place took up the entire sky, like if the entire sun was the sky and only emanated unconditional love. It was definitely not a guy with a beard <laughs> shaking a stick at people or any. <laughs> it was the personification I believe us humans have, have added to it. And so please forgive me if I refer to, to God and he or she. I, there's something weird about calling it it that seems disrespectful. Um, so if I say he, it's just because I was brought up speaking rather traditional English. Okay, so if you could imagine an entity, God, this massive, huge, glorious consciousness, and everything is available to this entity, all things are known, there is a state of perpetual harmony and union, and yet there's nothing outside of this entity. I know this is a, a weird frame to try to grasp inside of our little uh, meat computers we call brains, but try to bear with me here. We're gonna we're gonna get into some real depth. So there's this entity that is fully unionized with itself and fully aware, but there's nothing outside of it. So to expand, this entity actually has to divide itself up from within. And this is what I believe happened, is that the entity that we know as God wanted more experience and more expansion, so needed to expand within itself, therefore separated parts of itself. So in the beginning, you have this ultimate Godhead, and then as it separates, we have the beginning of our universe, the beginning of duality and relativity. And the first layers of these creation, um, Sri Yukachwar, I'm probably mispronouncing that, please forgive me, uh, Yogananda's guru, described as the causal realm. And this is basically the dreams of God whole layers of creation, multiple dimensions of existence, where there's no matter and there is no light. There's no manifestation at all. It's literally the dreams of God and the dreams of the pieces of God that have separated from it not truly separated from it, but like an internal division to where the entity can look back at itself as itself. So I find it very difficult to understand these first layers, this idea of the causal plane. But my understanding is that we sometimes visit it when we dream and when our dreams have almost no content, that deep, deep sleep, because there's no manifestation there, which once again makes very little sense <laughs> to my human mind. But from this causal realm, these dreams condense, they contract, 
and they begin to form light. And so the next layers of creation um, are called the astral plane. And I believe this is where I have been honored and lucky enough to visit a few times uh, during medicine and during uh, holotropic breathwork workshops. Um, in this realm, everything is made of light, but it's not quite the light that we know. It's a more subtle light. In fact, our eyeballs can't see it. In the same way you can't hear a dog whistle, we can't see this light with our physical eyes due to its subtle nature and the limitations of our biology, and it's purposefully designed that way. This astral plane has been spoken about uh, by the Hindus. They speak of it, I, I believe, as the astral plane. Um, the Christians, as I've said before, I believe, call this place heaven. It It is heavenly, and although I've, I didn't see any clouds, uh, people walking on clouds, with everything being made of light, there's an etheric nature to everything, and I can see how you would liken it to clouds or, or mist. So it, it actually, this, this theory ties in with, with some of these other religious structures. Within, so the astral plane and the causal realm, or planes, occupy the same, what I would call space, even though technically it's not space. But they're not separated from each other. It's more like Russian nesting dolls. The astral plane is condensed within the causal realms. And our existence in 3D, the what they call the gross material realm, is like another nesting doll pocketed within the astral plane. So we've got our basic structure. The Godhead down to the causal plane condenses to the astral plane, condenses to the material realm where we all live. Now we can start correlating some data from some other places. So in the book of Genesis in the Bible, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. To me, this sounds like a representation of the causal realm. Formless, empty, contains no matter, the dreams of God. In Genesis 1-3, he says, the next verse, he says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Hence the astral plane, the realms made of light. And God saw the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. So this is indicating the duality and the polarity of our existence. Also within this structure, quantum science starts to make sense. So there are some very interesting things that scientists have learned about the way quantum mechanics works. If you've ever heard of a double-blind study, the reason for those is that scientists have found that the more a scientist or a person thinks about an experiment and expects a certain outcome, the more likely that outcome is to happen. At least their thinking about it and expecting something can actually affect the nature of it. So they actually do studies where people participating in the study don't even know what it is so that they can't affect it. Which, if everything is just material, 
that doesn't make any sense, but that's real science. That's really the way they do things now. So why would this be? Well, in, in this framework, it makes sense. If reality actually comes from imagination, that means that for anything to actually exist, it had to have been imagined first. It had to have come from that causal plane, which means that the root of all things is imagination. Well, could that be true? Look around the room you're in. Look at everything that was manufactured, everything that's there. All of it was dreamed up by someone. Someone had to think of it before they could make it. So that's pretty obviously true for, you know, anything that was manufactured by humans. But what if we took that out to the next step and looked at every tree and every blade of grass and the colors of a parrot? literally everything that nature has come up with and could we not maybe imagine that well god dreamed this stuff up and so now it exists it doesn't seem so far-fetched and the way this quantum field stuff works it, it seems to make sense because in that whatever you're thinking and imagining and feeling pushes itself into reality in some form and that's what we're talking about here the dreams of god becoming the astral light and the, like the more conceptualized plan, the actual frameworks for all these things before they're manifest into what we view as physical. But if you really look into an atom, there's nothing there, almost nothing, tiny, tiny particles of light and a lot of electromagnetics. But most of it doesn't really make sense from a materialistic standpoint. Okay. Y'all still with me? So, as Sri Yukachar is explaining this to Yogananda, he explains that as pieces of God are differentiated from God, these are the souls that we know of. They're also the archangels and all other entities, even demigods, the Hindu demigods. These are all offshoots and aspects of this greater whole, this greater intelligence, this all that is. So he explains that three envelopes or three bodies are wrapped around and encased around the, the soul. And the first is a causal body and the second is an astral body. And then we're all very familiar with the gross physical body. It's like, hey, I'm not gross. Not that kind of gross. <laughs> Just meaning material and solid. Coarse is another synonym. So within this framework, you and I are individualized pieces of God encased in multiple bodies, multiple layers, and we have decided through our desires to incarnate here and to have experiences and to grow and to expand. Sri Yukachwar interchanged the word desire with karma explaining that karma is just the soul's desire to incarnate and to have experiences, and that it's that desire that holds the astral causal bodies together and keeps the soul on this path of reincarnation where it incarnates over and over again to have all of these experiences. And so the way he explains it is in the position that most of us are in, 
our souls mostly reside here on the gross physical plane. When our body dies, our physical body dies, our mental and emotional bodies, which are held together with the astral and causal energy encapsulations, ascends back up into the astral plane. So people talk about when they die, they see the, the tunnel of light. Um, I believe that's what this is. They, they go into the astral plane. They may go over with their guides, have life reviews. There's rest and recuperation. I'm not going to pretend to know or really understand what, what all goes on there, but he explains that it's almost like a dream state when the soul goes up there. It's not really living a lifetime up there as much as kind of recharging and planning the next lifetime. And then the soul incarnates again and that the soul continues to do this hundreds, even millions of times until all of the karma is worked out, which is just the soul has done all of the things that it wants to do. And when it becomes desireless, you've heard this in some of the Buddhist tenets, when it becomes desireless, the soul's last lifetime, it ascends into the astral plane and it lives a real life there, not a kind of dream pseudo life. And whenever it passes on from there, it will actually pass on up into the causal realm, rest and recharge there and start a very similar cycle where when the soul, quote, dies, it will go up into the causal realm and then reincarnate in different ways into the astral planes until all of its astral karma is worked out. When it, when that happens, the being ascends into the causal plane where the entities there are nearly perfect. Almost all of the karma has been worked out. And in that place where they can imagine anything into existence instantly, they can work through the rest of the karma that they want. When that process is finished, a soul can rejoin in unification with the Godhead and feel the true ultimate unification with all that is while also still remaining an individual that, that remembers its individual experiences in all of these soul and all of these incarnations in autobiography of a Yogi Sri Yukishwar explains that, Jesus Christ was such an entity that had completely achieved absolute perfection and only decided to reincarnate on the planet to serve as a perfect example of what we could all achieve if we could clear out all of the rest of our karma. I believe that this is what's meant in the Bible when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I don't believe he meant that he needs to be worshipped if anyone is going to connect to God. I think he was trying to show that this is the way. Unconditional love and forgiveness is the way and the truth to get back to God. This is just my interpretation and opinion, of course. Now, when I was brought up in the Christian religion, there was a lot of talk of hell. And I found that it didn't really resonate with me. I had a hard time believing that an all-loving, all-knowing God would create entities and then judge them and throw them in a fiery pit forever. It just, it just didn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. 
And so I rejected the idea of hell for a long time. What interested me is that in the explanation of the astral plane by Sri Yukachwar, he talks about darker levels of the astral plane where negative entities are confined, basically. So the idea here is that free will exists completely within this universe. For free will to exist, darkness has to exist. If God is all unification and all light, there's really no way for that entity to know or look at itself without something other than. So in our universe, we have this duality or polarity, and that's based on delusion. The delusion is that we're separate from God, which is not really true, but the delusion allows us to have the experience that we have because if we truly knew our divinity we wouldn't be able to go to work or drive cars or do any of the cool fun stuff we do here because we'd be in unity consciousness just oming or whatever entities in unity conscious do all day so the duality in the darkness is actually a purposeful part of this experience and the darkness allows us free choice So imagine this entity we talked about in the beginning where it's unified and it's in harmony with itself and everything. There's no drama there. There's nothing going on. Nothing can happen. But in our existence, everything can happen because as as entities, we're given absolute free reign to do and believe whatever we want. And that includes some very dark things, things that we might regard as, as negative. Maybe we can talk about negative as just the opposite of positive, whereas positive is growth and unification, then negative is separation and destruction. Not necessarily that negative is evil, but in your discernment, you may find that the negative energy around you doesn't feel very good, and so you'll decide to choose more positive energy. And that's the purpose of the reality. That's the nature of the reality so that we can have discernment and make choices. Now, this being the case, some entities make dark choices. We've seen this play out over and over on our planet. I don't have to tell you the dark stories. They're all in the history. And we wonder, how could God let this happen? Well, we are God. And we made that happen. We were doing those things. I can't claim to fully understand the scope of all that, but without darkness, without evil, without the bad things happening, there's no room for heroics. There's no room for goodness. Goodness cannot exist without evil. There's no way to see it there's no purpose in light without darkness. It's all part of this hole that we're in. If one can hang out in these lofty intellectual concepts, it becomes easier to forgive the darkness, to forgive evil. And as I've said before, I think forgiveness is the route to bliss. Um, Forgiveness clears the things out of the way that allow us to feel the love of God. So we have to let our anger and our hatred of evil even go 
if we're to ascend into the higher realms of consciousness, I've discovered, I've talked about this a little bit, that anything that you fight becomes stronger. So when you fight evil, when you rail against injustice, it tends to create more injustice and create more fighting and create more conflict. Whereas if one focuses instead their energies upon what they want to exist, then they can manifest and bring those things into being. So Sri Yukachwar explains that there are dark souls and there are dark places of the astral plane where these dark souls can go and work through their karma. And even these dark entities that have chosen darkness are at root unconditional love of God. Of course, they're deep and deep in delusion, so they're actually isolated and confined from the other entities so that they can't cause harm to them. They're <laughs> kind of kept to the side in the same way we do in our society. But these are not necessarily evil entities. They are all part of God. They are doing a dark thing. And so they are confined to a darker place until they work through that karma. But it's not some endless, torturous thing it's actually their choice their vibration resonates with those darker gloomier parts of the astral plane because that's where their choices have led them so it's not punishment it's just their choice and when they choose differently they can rise up out of those places and and join into the more perfect parts of the astral plane Sri Yukachwar also explains that all communication in the astral plane is done by telepathy. And if you listen to anybody that's had a near-death experience or anyone who's had a transpersonal experience with ayahuasca, um, they will describe a similar thing to you. And that was my experience as well. Every time I've had one of these transpersonal experiences... All the communication that took place happened in my head. It's like I could hear the thoughts of the other entity within my own mind. Um, I guess that's what telepathy looks like. Uh, it's just another thing that lines up between the, the experiences of myself and others and these texts and these sacred teachings. All right. Wow, you're still here, huh? <laughs> Thanks for hanging with me. Do you feel like your mind has been stretched out a little bit? Um, let's go ahead and recap. So we have the Godhead at the, the top or the center of the structure. We have underneath that as God separates itself into other things. We have the causal plane, which is indescribably subtle. It can be imagined. If you can imagine all of the material and astral reality, everything as ideas only as only ideas, then you could kind of catch a glimpse of what the causal realm look like. Um, and that is the root of all things, the imagination of God. As that condenses within that place, we get the astral plane, where the dreams of God and of the other entities condense into light forms. And astral desires center around enjoyment in terms of vibration and enjoying exhaustless expressions of changing light, which reportedly can be smelt and tasted by astral beings. 
There are different regions throughout this astral plane that correspond to all the possible vibrations there from very very beautiful loving unification consciousness to darker more friction warlike consciousnesses and this is where we go when we die physically uh, when we incarnate physically we come from that astral plane and incarnate here into the material plane and we work through our karma here for as many lifetimes as it takes. So, how does that story feel to you? I'd be interested to know. Um, if you'd like to reach me, um, you can send me an email at theastraldragonpod at gmail.com. I'd love to, to get your input on um, this particular story or framework that I've put forth. I'm always hoping to grow my knowledge and understand more. Well, that's all for this episode. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging out with me and uh, bearing with me through this uh, rather large subject, <laughs> trying to explain all the natures of creation and all the dimensions in, in 30 minutes, but uh, we, we knocked it out. <laughs> Much love. Y'all have a good one. <laughs>